George Floyd was killed on a Monday. This was, I think it was, it was Thursday. It was Thursday. It was our first gathering. And it was a Zoom call with about 100 of us on the call. And one of the more distinguished uh, African-American pastors um, was given opportunity to, to speak. And uh, Richard Coleman, Pastor Richard Coleman of AME in Minneapolis Church, he he got up with a, a passionate plea and a, just said, hey, if there's a time I need you, you all, my, my majority culture friends, it's now. Would you come with me? Would you come with me? Invite your, invite your friends, invite your congregation to come and be a peaceful prayer presence right at one of the hot spots of the unrest, which is right in front of the precinct. Hey, listeners. Welcome to the fall 2020 season of the Listener Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Holland. Today's guest is cruise staff Derek Grow, who's going to share with us what it's been like to live and do ministry in the city of Minneapolis since George Floyd's death. Enjoy the show. Derek, it's good to be with you. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Sam. It's good to be here. So I was checking workplace to figure out what your current title is, and it says you're a field strat missions dur, but then... I think Darren said maybe that's not your current role. And so that's the first thing I want to ask you about is what's your role in crew right now? Yeah, well, it's it's not fully settled yet, but part of it is settled. I'm I'm really functioning in a crew hybrid role and I'm 50% with uh, crew inner city, 25% with family life and 25% with athletes in action. Okay, this is super interesting. So... Just in case someone listening isn't familiar with our different ministries, so you have a leadership influence in three different crew ministries, crew inner city, crew family life, and crew athletes in action. Can you just talk a little bit more about what how yeah. each one of those are different? Well, I have friends. I'm, I'm friends with David, David Robbins, who took over for Family Life. And when we had a conversation, he was like, I got something for you. You know, we had these great conversations. And then Mark Householder with Athletes in Actions, really, uh, he and I have interacted before about a role in the past. And um, he's very connected to the Townsend School, John Townsend. And I'm in a master's program with Townsend right now. And master's in organizational leadership. I'm loving it. And so I, I knew that our uh, some of our philosophy of leadership would be very similar. Mark Rudder also was super helpful in um, helping me kind of navigate w- w- what my next chapter might look like. Um, and then Crew uh, Inner City, I, I came on staff with Milton Massey, and we're friends. And I've been very close with Crew Inner City staff here in Minneapolis. Um, we've partnered well together over many, many years. And um, so my heart is is been moving in that direction already. So lots and lots of conversations. Um, Tom Norris was super helpful with Crew Inner City, and, and Crew Inner City is fairly open to hybrid roles. And when he said it, I just went, "Wow, that just resonates with me to be able to serve and contribute to those three ministries." So we're still trying to figure out what that would look like, but a, a solid line relationship, reporting relationship with Crew Inner City, dotted line reporting relationship with Family Life and AIA. Love it. I, I just think, you know, as a ministry, we've been trying to grow in partnership, in the area of partnership, whether it's crew with other ministries or even within our crew ministries. And so I think these hybrid roles 
that's really the opportunity there is partnership mm-hmm. across ministries. I'm in a similar position in that I am switching from campus to city because my main project is this podcast, which the scope really goes beyond campus. And so I was hoping for to be able to collaborate a little bit more with other ministries. And the cool thing about city is uh, when, when I was talking to them about moving over from campus, they said, mm-hmm. well, you can still work on campus projects because we love partnership. So if you want to partner with other ministries on projects, please do that. And I thought, that's mm-hmm. so exciting. I love that because I do still want to partner on campus projects. So yeah, yeah, I really, I really like the idea of partnership. I think, uh, I think it is the future. I think, especially if you're crossing cultures, you've got to figure out how to do that or you come in uh, paternalistic. And I think it is the future for us. And I think, frankly, we've struggled with that as an organization overall in partnering with each other, even just within the organization. So mm-hmm. if, if there's any way I can help be a conduit to us figuring out what, what are the best things we can bring to the table together and benefit from one another's expertise and labor and resources, man, I'd love to be a part of that. So I think that there's some potential that I'll end up in that space a little bit now and then. So excited about it. So tell us about some project or something that you're working on that you're excited about when your new roles. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, there's one that's combining the different organizations. It's, it's not fully played out yet, but it's, um, it's, uh, uh, it's called Jam Camp, and it's an event uh, in the inner city for uh, urban youth. And AIA has done it a few times. Uh, in some partnership with Crew Inner City, and it's bringing kids in uh, for a, a camp. They usually don't have a chance to be a part of any kind of a camp, a summer camp, but it'll be athletics. But I just think of the potential of uh, having it in the backyard of these urban churches that Crew Inner City already has partnerships with, and saying, "Hey, let's 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 take some of the, the Christ followers who are AIA." college and pro athletes and let's give them opportunity to to use their platform of sports to share their testimony to interact with the kids to give them a vision for the urban core and and actually have family life involved too where they're coming they get a table there they've created resources they get stuff for single moms they get stuff for you know mentoring and coaching um people in the churches uh to coach their people in their neighborhoods and in their churches so to me uh, that could be an exciting blend. And you can involve Crew High School in that. Uh, and the doors are wide open for Crew High School in urban schools, I think, way more than suburban because they need all the help they can get. So um, so that's one of the things that's just starting uh, starting up. There's, um, uh, there's some AIA folks that are giving some great attention to it, and I'm just kind of learning from them. And I'd love to get, add some fuel to that. Yeah, Athletes in Action is such a cool ministry. So much of what they do is, of course, hands-on, being together, sports-related type activities. How is AIA pivoting and innovating during right now during COVID? Well, I think they're doing a great job. They have really solidified some of their vision and values, I think, in terms of disciples that make disciples. And they're seeing people come to know Jesus in the midst of teams and they have such a um, capitalizing on the affinity nature of 
uh, teams on campuses. So they're they're doing. They're, I think they're doing great. They've done a number of things online. They've done their training online, um, and I think like like the campus ministry too. They're scrambling. Like, how do we do this? How do we how do we reach out? How do we continue to do evangelism? Um, they are life on life, and um, great great value in leadership and development and um, holistic uh, as much as possible. I believe. Um, so I still am kind of learning. I mean, that's part of my posture as I'm learning these other ministries. I've been in the campus ministry for 34 years, so I know s- some of them. But man, there's a whole bunch of stuff mm-hmm. I do not know, and I'm learning their cultures and their values and how they roll. And so I'm just just barely learning. Are you so new in the roles that you might not even have a specific change life story yet, or can you think of one? Boy, I, I wish uh, I wish I did. I. I um, I am too new. I am too new in it. I'm starting to hear, I will say, I'm starting to hear about um, some of the crew inner city affiliate programs. Crew inner city has a strategy called an affiliate um, affiliate branch of crew inner city, which goes into cities and meets volunteers and pastors and people that have a heart for the whole city and helps develop them uh, as a team of pastors that are going after the whole city. Then we come alongside with compassionate products and training and evangelism discipleship and multiplying disciples is, is, is the end all uh, for what we want to do in our, in the crew, crew city affiliate. So I, I'm just kind of catching the joy off of uh, now and then connecting with my campus ministry friends and hearing about people coming to know Jesus. And I, I got to tell one quick one uh, from a prayer letter from a friend in Green Bay, and she she had uh, six freshmen. So shout out to campus ministry. Six freshmen had come to their uh, online weekly meeting. Freshman women. She recontacted all of them. She got together with a couple of them that wanted to meet, and one of them was so ripe and ready to receive Jesus. And in her letter, she writes, she writes, so take that COVID. God is still at work drawing <laughs> students to himself. And it, if you knew her personality, it, it makes sense. But she was super excited. So it's fun to see that even in the midst of, even in the midst of COVID, uh, I think our staff are innovating and trying new things and doing everything we can uh, technologically to make, make connections. So those are really the, the only life, the really big life change stories I'm hearing right now. We're just trying to get our feet on the ground with, with, um, crew inner city in terms of how do we come alongside these pastors. I do have a cool story of, uh, a visionary story from crew inner city at some point. If, if you want to hear that. Okay. We'll make sure and circle back as, yep, we will do that. Um, Okay, so uh, I know a lot of people have been asking me, you know, like, how is campus ministry going? How are you? How are you guys even doing ministry? You know, during the COVID realities, and what I always say is, well, really, it just depends on the campus and the state and things like that, because there's such a wide variety of responses. Some campuses are completely online, some are completely open, and it. You know, crew. My understanding is that crew is just complying with whatever the state and the school has regulated, whether it's lockdown or open. So it sounds like your Green Bay friend—that's an actually open campus where people can meet. 
Yes. No, I don't know. Or was it virtual? I think it might have been virtual. I, I think oh. I, I think it might have been virtual, but I think she did meet. I think they could be meet one on one. So I think they actually did mm. physically. Oh yeah, because she mm-hmm. said she also said in the letter she goes. People liked having some paper in their hand. <laughs> they liked they liked having paper mm-hmm. rather than everything digital. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool. But I think yeah. it's fluctuating so much from even from uh, campus to campus. Even you know a team leader that has five six campuses he or she is on. They got one that they can be on, three that they can't, one they used to now they can't. I mean it's just yeah, it's really and then well you know and then it's the state. It's the campus and then some group policy, too, on some places mm-hmm. that says, you know, you can only meet five. One week it's 25, and then it's 10, then it's five. So it's the intellectual flexibility required of our staff right now is, is crazy. <laughs> I mean, in my mind, they are heroes on the ground, uh, in the trenches. I, I just yeah. think it's, it's amazing what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard really cool stories about how... Uh, campus staff are using Instagram and social media tools like that to just do a ton of innovating and reach students. And I might have to do a whole episode on that because I know there's actually a crew training on how to connect yeah. with students through Instagram. And students are experts. I mean, they'll find you yeah. through Instagram. Right. All, you, all you really need is a presence. So, but yeah, that's so there's been a lot of opportunity really to, yeah. to really explore the digital world and figure and go where students are, which is online. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So Derek, you are in Minneapolis. I know you've been there for a long time Mm -hmm. and Minneapolis is of course the city where George Floyd died after a police officer knelt on his neck. And so this is a, a reality that we've all been living in the aftermath of for months now. I know you're right there in that community with lots and lots of relationship that go back years and years. And so I just wonder, how is your community doing? How is Minneapolis? Yeah, well, um, it's been uh, quite a journey here. And uh, that first week was just like something you never could Imagine when the globe, you know, news sources in all around the globe are focused on Minneapolis of all places on the planet for like three or four days straight. Um, you just were like, hang on, I'm out, we're out right now. We live out in the suburbs and we even had, uh, we had to stay inside out here. You know, we had a curfew out here. So you had people, um, a lot of fear, a lot of um, mix of emotions, and um, it's kind of uh, wanting to know what to do. I, I think uh, I think I saw af- the aftermath. I remember seeing uh, people just eager to help, eager to do something, uh, to bring food. There was so much food coming in initially um, that they couldn't even uh, take it all. Um, so because pop-up grocery stores weren't happening yet, and you had, uh, uh, I think they call them food deserts or grocery store desert, whatever, when you know there's not 
people don't have cars in a socioeconomic level is such that they're walking to wherever they can get groceries and they were shut down. So um, it's been it's been very interesting to be a part of. I'm on the edge. Um, I wouldn't say I'm, you know, the I can't speak for crew inner city staff who are more connected to, to right at this point are more connected to the pastors in the, the urban areas and our staff that live there. Uh, have a much better read on what has happened. I have interacted with a number of them. Um, so I think people are, um, you know, I want to say, I wish I could say that I've seen a permanent change in uh, the heart and mind of the believing community. Um, but I, I, I don't think I can say that. Um, I, wish, I wish that was true. But I think because of uh, the vitriol in our um, politics and our social media and our inability to navigate, uh, really, to be honest, navigate good, bad, split. Um, I had one, one staff friend, very close staff friend, who said, I don't know what to post. I, I don't think I can post anything because if I post something, I'm, I'm labeled uh, a Marxist. And when I post another thing, I'm labeled a racist. So... Uh, by staff friends um, at times. So we're, we're really being challenged in how do we not uh, jump right into the polarization of uh, our culture right now? How do we love each other? How do we listen to each other? Well, uh, how do we learn and stay in the conversation? Yeah, I'm glad you brought up good, bad, bad split. Now, you're when you mentioned Townsend, mm-hmm. that's that's Cloud and Townsend, right? Absolutely, Henry yeah. Cloud. Yes, <laughs> yes. Changes that heal, yeah. going all the way back to crew, crew basics. Yes. Good, bad split is just a polarizing mindset Absolutely. where you can only think in binary terms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think I, I've experienced that on social media where if I'm trying to be really wise and um, with what I post, but it does seem like inevitably someone is going to be hurt or just have a strong emotion about about what I post. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in the aftermath of George Floyd's death and everything that ensued, and um, I, I had really good conversations where a few times friends would reach out to me and say, I don't understand how you can post what you posted. And I had to take it offline to have that conversation mm-hmm. because it's just, you can't have those robust conversations at a heart level over social media. And the amazing thing is how fruitful those conversations almost always are, at Mm -hmm. least in my relationships. If we take the time to actually talk and listen and and hear each other. And it's not about, you'll never agree 100% with anyone on anything. Yeah. But you can almost always find common ground and common values. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I had a, a, a very good friend reach out to me and really ask questions. And he really initiated, hey, we probably need to talk because I realize I might be making some assumptions about what I'm reading. Um, and I don't, I don't want to do that. And to his credit, um, he initiated with me on that and, and we're having multiple conversations. We're listening to lots of different things, watching different things that each other will send to each other. 
And uh, because I love him so much, I'm committed to learning and I'm committed to hearing what he's hearing. And uh, even though I might disagree with um, with with some of it, um, we're committed to walking it through. And uh, so that's that's actually been super helpful to actually talk about it rather than just react and put that person in a in a box in a corner. Um, we see it happen in our church all the time. We have people leaving our church for crazy reasons. I, I come across a, um, maybe this is more common than I think, but it's a, it's a way of decision-making called confirmation bias. And what it, what it is, is we, we just tend to um, take in any kind of information that confirms our own bias. And we're not willing to hear anything else. And so we're just building, building, building this one side of an argument and, um, and we just keep taking it in. And then we, we put ourselves actually in a box, in a corner. And uh, we're not living out the first and second greatest commandment uh, when we do that. So, uh, and I'm as passionate as anybody. So if anybody's going to have, a, have a, a polarization tendency, it's me. So I'm really, I'm really challenged. But, and it's been really good that I've had a few people uh, test me and say things like, hey, how come you didn't post? Or why did, why did you post that? Or... Um, so it's, it's been, uh, it's been, uh, stretching, but, but in a really good way, um, and learning how to love people that I might disagree with. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, and I think it would just be impossible to work for what is primarily a college ministry and avoid conversations about justice, you know? Because students, mm-hmm. Christian students, non-Christian students, are literally crying out in the streets for justice. Yes. And I think that's why crew started having these conversations, you know, five years ago internally because that's our that's our primary audience, mm-hmm. college students. and they're they're seeing these things. They're crying out about it. and they are seeing how justice is. A part of the gospel, mm-hmm. and 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 that's how it came on our radar, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we struggle with the idea of whenever we hear the term justice, we think of the more common term of social justice, and then we put people in a political camp, and we forget that Jesus was all about justice, and justice is all over the scriptures. Justice isn't a political issue; it's a it's a Bible issue. And we look at the Beatitudes, we look at the people that Jesus interacted with, we look at what he modeled for us, and he was all about justice. And, um, and our theology is generally very thin and weak on justice. And I include myself in that, and I'm, still, I'm just barely learning. I feel like uh, I'm seeing things pop out of the scriptures. Wait a minute, there it is again, there it is again. Wow, this is like a real thing. And it isn't just, Jesus didn't just say, have people pray a prayer and get them to heaven. Don't give a rip about their life. He, he, uh, he really, good, good news and good deeds were part of what he said and what he did. And so it is, uh, it is part of, a, as a Christ follower from right out of the gate in Genesis 1, 20, 20, 26, 27, 28 says, subdue and manage the earth, including all of his creation. And so justice has been an issue on the heart of God uh, for his, his people for since the beginning. 
And so I'm just learning, how do I do that? How do I, how do I live that out? I, I think of this passage in Proverbs that I'm stuck on is um, Proverbs 31, 8, that says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And though that, that translation doesn't have the term justice in it, it's the same, it's the same idea of, uh, of caring about those that uh, are less have are less fortunate, have less resources, are in need, are treated differently, um, uh, are experiencing lots of injustice over over their lifetime. So that's that's what that passage says, and, and um, Proverbs just one little teeny example. Uh, so yeah, I think it's something we can't ignore, and, um, and it needs to be part of how we how we think about walking with Jesus, how we think about living out the gospel is how does my life reflect that, uh, a concern for, for justice. Yeah. Derek, tell us about just some of your relationships in the community with, I I imagine you have police officer friends and pastor friends and just all kinds of relationships and people who are some directly and some indirectly affected by all this and how are you what kind of a posture do you take when you're you're entering in with all these different relationships that are coming from a different lens a different reality but a lot of them have this commonality of being Christ followers what does that look like yeah I, I think I I um I do have friends on uh in in the um police uh role uh, in, in that that type of job and I've reached out to them when I can uh, I've just even seen police officers I'll just thank them for what they're doing and just thank them for their work and uh, what they do and I've tried to just put myself in their shoes and think about uh, where they're at um, uh, I, I would say my initial response was to my ethnic minority friends, uh, many, many friends um, that I'm close to at our church that I have uh, uh, deep friendships with just to see how they're doing, how they're processing, what are they thinking. Um, once a friend said, not a, what are you going to do about it, but a, what are we going to do about that is a better terminology I learned um, that I want to I wanna, uh, adopt more. Um, so I have had several pastors that are urban pastors, and I want to tell one one story. I think it kind of reflects how some some of them I think are doing. We did a Crooner City did a, a backpack outreach giveaway, and this was a St. Paul pastor. Crooner uh, City's in Minneapolis, so it's probably fifteen twenty minutes away. Twenty five backpacks. This senior pastor came drove his car on a Wednesday night to come pick up 25 backpacks for kids in his neighborhood for his church to hand out, engage in gospel conversations, do follow-up, you know, build discipleship into these community members. And as I talked to him, when he came to pick up the back, the backpacks, I, I just asked him, how are you doing? How's it going? He goes, well, this was, this was uh, early to mid-August. And he said, man, it was super hard first. It was really hard. Our elderly folks were, were shut in. They couldn't go outside. Uh, it was very difficult. Um, uh, 
we, we couldn't meet, but he said, you know, when things started to open up in July, we started, we started meeting outside. And because some of the urban churches are really smaller churches, you know, they met outside. He, we said, we, he, we have people coming out on the, on the, on the porch. Um, we had two Lutheran pastors that said, Hey, we're going to, why don't we, we're going to have our people go to your service. And he said, we're, we're having some, we're having some great uh, worship together. It's been, it's been really cool. And then he said, and then we have more people online connected. We have like a thousand people online connected to us now. And I really sense that, and we're meeting people's needs, their real needs. I mean, most have some kind of a, a food shelf giveaway type thing going on. Um, they're very holistic in terms of how they care about people and their needs. Um, from, uh, you know, I don't know how they would do this, but just caring about people's housing and their food, their jobs. Um, so he felt like he was getting some traction. In fact, he he said, yeah, I just got a phone with, with the uh, police chief in Minneapolis and St. Paul, and we're trying to talk about... Um, police reform and how we can how we can be a part of that and how we can do that in a, in a amicable way and um and then he said i talked to the mayor the other day so like i was like oh this is this is a kind of guy to connect with um that um it's really going to help the community recover and uh, the more we can come beside those those uh pastors and community christian community leaders in our urban centers, I think we have a, uh, a great opportunity to to not just be the voice of the voice of the gospel, the hands and feet of the gospel um, in our cities. That's so cool. Hmm. Um, you know what I think is just really interesting about you, Derek, is when before we started recording, you were telling me that you actually you live in the suburbs of Minneapolis, but you are in the process of selling your house and moving into the city of Minneapolis, mm-hmm. which is seems counterintuitive to uh-huh. some people. Uh-huh. A lot of a lot of people are moving away from the cities because the the cities are struggling right now. Mm-hmm. There's just there's a lot of unrest for a lot of reasons. But but you're going in. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about about that move? Yeah, we we feel like uh, God's calling us for a variety of reasons to make a move. Um, we're empty nesters now, and um, we want to simplify a little bit. We'd like to uh, we'd like to uh, have less of a mortgage, uh, less of a yard, and um, but really, what's what's grabbed my heart is I actually I would really love to be around people that don't uh, look like me, think like me, talk like me vote like me. Um, I want to be around uh, diversity. I want to learn how to care about people. I want to have an opportunity to do neighboring uh, again, a different way. I'm in a, right now we're in a very, very quiet, very small cul-de-sac uh, with, with retired uh, folks, majority culture folks, wonderful people. Um, all of them are believers. Um, but we just do not interact with our physical neighbors very much at all. So the type of neighborhood that we're moving in, we were very particular about in terms of um, people uh, walking in front of your house a lot. And it just seems like it's a place conducive to neighboring being neighboring like we might think it could be. Um, So 
there's a barbershop on the corner of my block um, that I've just read about, a guy that's trying to keep it going. Um, and uh, so I'm looking forward to having a chance to interact with my neighbors and learn how to love my neighbors. And whatever I'm doing, uh, it also affects me on the ground in terms of my role with Crew Inner City. I get to... Um, because that's what I'll be coaching people. Some of the people I, I'll, I'll be coaching will be doing some of the similar things, and and um, so I'm uh, we're excited about that. There's we're not right in; we're right on the edge of uh, what you might call the urban core. We're right on the edge of it, uh, but it is Minneapolis, North Minneapolis proper. So love it. Okay, there's one story that you didn't get to that I would love to hear more about. And this is, you. I know that there was a Minneapolis precinct that was burned down at one point during protests. But you had been on site there earlier that night. Can you tell us more about that story? George Floyd was killed on a Monday. This was, I think it was, it was Thursday. It was Thursday. It was our first gathering and it was a Zoom call with about 100 of us on the call. And one of the more distinguished uh, African-American pastors um, was given an opportunity to, to speak. And uh, Richard Coleman, Pastor Richard Coleman of AME in Minneapolis Church, he, he got up with a, a passionate plea and a, just said, hey, if there's a time I need you, you all, my, my majority culture friends, it's now. Would you come with me? Would you come with me? Invite your invite your friends, invite your congregation to come and be a peaceful prayer presence right at one of the hot spots of the unrest, which is right in front of the precinct. And unfortunately, all we had was like a two and a half hour turnaround to to grab anybody we could to just come and, and be there. And I said, man, and I had another uh, African-American friend that was in on the call. And I said, hey, let's let's get a couple of guys and go. And, and see if we can pray and, and just be there. So we we were told where to drive down and where to park, and we, we walked in. You could smell the burning of the buildings, uh, the damage to, you could see the damage to Target, the Wendy's, you know, anything, hardly anything left of Wendy's. AutoZone was, was totally torched. But you could feel the, you could feel the unrest. It was like, um, it was like a school of fish when someone would say something or, or make a loud noise, the whole group would move. And you could tell it was a kinder, uh, uh, like a, a box of kindling, you know, ready to, ready to explode. You could just feel it. But um, when we were there, we did uh, have opportunity uh, for a short amount of time. There was an African-American Christian leader. Uh, his name's Corey Dean, or it goes by Cross, who leads a Man Up Club. And he was had a megaphone. And he was he was leading and all the other pastors were looking to him for, to his voice for leading uh, a voice of reason and a voice of uh, empathy and uh, acknowledging the pain acknowledging the questions but having a real prayer presence and and I remember Pastor Coleman I remember his eyes even on on when I looked at him he said keep your eyes on on cross keep your eyes on cross which is his name and uh, and as the as the agitators, the crowd of agitators came by, we just focused on him. And there was probably a couple hundred of us, and just focused on him. And the agitators just kind kind of continued on their way. Unfortunately, we didn't stay there the re- the rest of the evening, and maybe fortunately, unfortunately, um, because it was later that night that that precinct was was taken over. And and what I hear from people downtown too was. 
that there was a lot of a lot of folks from out of town that were agitators in with Molotov cocktails and anarchists that were a, a significant part of uh, the looting and the torching that happened. But it was very meaningful to actually be there with them, um, and at least for that couple of hours, um, try to be the presence of Jesus uh, with people that were struggling at that time. That's really so powerful, what you said, just being the presence of Jesus during 2020, which is just full of tension Uh and sorrow and um, fear. And so practicing the presence of Jesus wherever wherever we go is really the opportunity, I think. So I'm glad you... I'm glad you ended on that note. And I don't know how much you're aware of this, Derek, but just as we close, you and Julie have been just an enduring presence in crew for a long time. And so I'm really grateful for you guys. And thanks for your time and, and all your wisdom. Thank you.